You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 43 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by Calling Champion Hayden Dale. I don't. I really don't think I can change that. You know, I think you just still got to be Calling Champion. That's even fine. If you're national. That, hey, it's look, it, it still, it still, it still sounds good. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I feel less of a less imposter syndrome now, so it's okay. He's like, I'll let it slide. Um, so over the yeah, over the next two pods, we're going to be diving into our predictions for the impact of Everfest on the future classic constructed meta, how each hero looks to be shaping up in that respective meta, as well as our deck ideas, and finally giving each hero a grade based on how we think they, you know, they're going to perform in the meta. And this is with a caveat, I got to say, um, assuming no changes, right? And there's obviously going to be a few, but we're just taking what we got from Everfest, assigning a grade to it, because obviously there were some winners, <clears throat> Prism, and some losers. I'm looking at you, Brutes. So anyway, Hayden. Talk to me about your week in flesh and blood. <laughs> yeah, good, good, uh, good introduction. Everfest is upon us, right? This is going to be a cool sort of. I think we initially thought about trying to cram this into one podcast, but we're going to cover every class. We're going to talk about every hero. We're going to talk about all the cards from Everfest, you know, that we think are going to have impact. So it's going to be a big sort of task ahead of us. But yeah, this week in flesh and blood, good. Welcome to Ray Farewell events. To be honest, that's what I that's what I did over the weekend. So I spent basically my whole weekend on. Uh, I managed to play five drafts over the the full weekend. So I got in I got in a, a few drafts, and I was really excited about it as well. I think I hate to think that it might be the last time I draft Welcome to Wraith in a in a store environment, but I, I have picked up a couple of boxes to to keep away to draft later on. Um, yeah, I had an awesome time. I went to, yeah, five in total. I tried to draft every class. I didn't end up getting to draft Katsu, which kind of broke my heart, to be honest. I really wanted to draft every class, but um, didn't draft Katsu. Drafted, I think, Warrior once, Guardian twice, Brute twice, I think. Um, so, yeah, no, it was it was cool. I got to meet a lot of new people because I went to a few different stores that I hadn't been to before in Sydney. Um, Sydney, The Sydney scene here in Australia is like really just blown up over the past few months. Uh, since Tales of Aria and, and kind of the end of our, our lockdown. So that's really cool to see. There's basically all of the game stores, as far as I'm aware, are now starting to run Flesh and Blood and have, have nights. So if you you know if you live in Sydney, um, you can usually find like a, you know, an armory every night of the week within kind of like sort of 30, 30 minute drive if you're, if you're uh, in most places, which is really cool. So yeah, welcome to Wraith Draft. Had a, had a good time. What about you? Uh, did you get to a few drafts? What have you been up to? Well, I played one. Um, but we did two drafts that day, cool. so yep. longer event. I had a good time. I drafted a brute deck, which kind of sucked to be honest. It wasn't yellow bellow. That must have been yeah. why. But I think like the brute deck that I drafted had a lot of very good cards in it, but it didn't have the fundamental pieces to make those cards broken, like have go again. <laughs> so it was like a lot of uh, um, you know, one for sevens. I don't know for some reason that card is just escaping my mind uh, as well. Savage Swing, yeah. Wrecker Romps, things like that. And doing that as the only thing you do that turn, um, considering they also discard a card, yeah, it's both tough. usually not enough, and you're going to fatigue faster even if you have like 35 cards. So You need the club, um, you need the club to come in afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So that wasn't great. Um, that draft wasn't great, but I learned my lesson. And the next draft, I drafted a absolutely broken um, 
Guardian deck that nice. had tectonic plating in it and you know basically any card I wanted because it was very open. Um, but yeah, I had a great time as well. Um, I was actually surprised at how much of a good time I had, and I'm actually I'm going to miss it dearly. Um, not necessarily <laughs> not playing at locals, but playing Welcome to Wraith. Yeah, well, we're we're about to get into some news and a pretty massive news announcement, right? Um, the first Pro Tour has been announced. We're going to get into in a second, but I'm bringing a, at least one box of of Welcome to Wraith with me, and uh, we're going to be drafting in the house. That's for sure. Whether it be after the the PT or whatever, but we're definitely going to get a Welcome to Wraith draft in as a as a group, so I'm excited about that. And also, can we just point out? Uh, not only did you open a tectonic plating, what did you open in your uh, in your prize packs, Brendan? Yeah, so I went to collect my prize packs, um, and I pull, I, I just grabbed a bunch of Crucible of War, and then I asked, I asked Bill behind the desk, I was like, "You think I should grab Crucible of War?" He's like, "Well, Arcane Rising has Command and Conquer in it." I was like, eh, "Okay," I swapped it out. I think I opened five packs, and then the fifth one had a foil Command and Conquer in it. So I was like, "Oh, good advice, Bill." Not bad. I dropped a, Brennan tweeted this on Twitter and I dropped a, a little comment and said, this is why you don't win on camera. <laughs> the luck, yeah, my the luck of the pools. No, no, it's good. Nice pools. Awesome weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm also going to miss Welcome to Wraith. Hopefully we'll, we'll get a chance to draft it again, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but no, I think a lot of people, the overall feedback I had was that really cool event. People had a, had a good time. Yeah. And the best set in Flesh and Blood. For... Just full stop? Yep, full stop. What a boomer. What a boomer. Awesome. But with that, let's go ahead and head on to the news section, which is jam-packed this week, Hayden. Yeah, I mean, the biggest headline is that we have the announcement. I mean, probably could be the biggest organized play announcement so far in Flesh and Blood's history, right? But Pro Tour number one is coming. And it's going to be in New Jersey, which I don't know how many people picked New Jersey for the first Pro Tour. I think a lot of people thought, you know, maybe a, a more of a convention city uh, in the US, but awesome, awesome stuff. I haven't been to the East Coast really in the US, uh, so well, not properly. Um, so I'm excited to, to maybe tack on a little bit of travel while I'm there. But yeah, Pro Tour 1 is happening. I do have the details here. So first of all, I'm just going to just uh, call out some of the details for the Pro Tour that have been announced. So it is happening on the Friday, May 13th. And that weekend, there is also going to be a calling. So Friday, the Pro Tour starts. Saturday, there's a calling. Uh, Saturday, Sunday. Pro Tour is Friday, Saturday for the Swiss rounds. And then Sunday is the top eight. And then also on Sunday, there's a Battle Hardened event, which is the new PTI event, the new Pro Tour Invitation event. It's a pro quest on steroids, I guess. More, you know, bigger prize pool, uh, uh, more players, etc. In terms of, you know, I guess the format of the Pro Tour, uh, it's class constructed. So it's going to be class constructed. So it looks like the next set is not going to be out by then. So this is going to be an Everfest class constructed. So we've got a long lead time as we go between now and, and May 13th uh, for Everfest constructed. And then I think somewhere around June, the new set comes out. So it will be class constructed all the way through. It is, I think it's about 15 rounds of Swiss. I think it's like eight on, I mean, I could say, I think I can just have it here. Uh, seven rounds of Swiss day one. At the conclusion of seven rounds, all players with four or more wins make it to day two of the Pro Tour. And then um, there's another seven rounds on day two, sorry, so 14 rounds total, and then it cuts top eight, which is played on on Sunday. And in terms of um, the prizing, got to shout that out. So for the Pro Tour, big big prize pool. It's a $100,000 prize pool. Uh, first place is 25000 US gold prize card. It says Pro Tour champion prize card, plus a gold legendary of the hero's class talent. So that's that's interesting. I'm excited to see what there's going to be an immortalized a first 
Pro Tour champion prize card. Don't, who knows what that'll be? That's really cool. And then the top eight, uh, I think it's like 10, six and a half, three for the rest of the top eight, depending on where you, you come. Gold Legendary uh, for that hero class or talent, plus PTI for the full top eight as well. And the, the really cool thing as well is if you top 32 the Pro Tour, you're going to get a PTI plus some cash to offset your travel, uh, which is which is cool. And they pay out all the way down to 64th as well. So yeah, quite a big prize pool for this Pro Tour, right, Brendan? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, this is huge for Flesh and Blood, right? This is part of the legitimization. I don't know if legitimization is a word. Make it up. Whatever. <laughs> whatever that means. Um, but it's important for Flesh and Blood. Like, we're putting our foot in the ground, you know, our flagpoles on the top of the mountain. Flesh and Blood organized play is here to stay, and it's a real thing that you can do. Um, maybe not professionally, but at a very high level. Um, so I'm really excited, and... Yeah, I mean that's it's going to be a three day event, fourteen rounds of Swiss, top eight. It's going to be brutal, but I know Hayden's flying over, so sure, big right. house in big house in Jersey. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Yeah, there's a few more things I want to just talk about through the announcement as well, and there's a bit of a discussion I think we're going to have, and it's probably going to take up a little bit of time on the on the on the pod, but we really want to talk about it. The first thing, one of the things I think about, New Jersey, really interesting, I thought. But also, I'm pretty sure the first Magic Pro Tour was in New Jersey. So I feel like there's a bit of nostalgia there. And we know that uh, with the organized play sort of winding down for Magic, especially at the high level, it feels like Flesh and Blood is kind of taking that place. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a cool little nod, I think, in some ways. And New Jersey is, I think, for like accommodation and travel and, and event sort of venues it's it's maybe a bit more serviceable than than actual new york city uh i want to talk about the calling the calling is a bit bigger than a normal calling i think it's a twenty thousand uh worth of cash prizes and there's also the last endell's uh gold foil spring tunic uh cold foil given out at this event as well they've said the last in the prizing and then um you can go to fab tcg and see the rest of the prizing but the rest of it is a, is a classic constructed calling and then the uh brennan you like this because we've been talking about this sunday is a blitz battle hardened which is uh, very interesting. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if that that quite takes the cake for <laughs> having competitive blitz events. Which honestly, I don't know if I don't want to make a you know there'd be a misunderstanding. That's what I'm lobbying for. But well, it's not like Everfest. You know, yeah, who knows if we'll get? I I would have expected like you know maybe some pro quests at the uh, that are blitz or yeah like some battle hardens on day two. So we're getting that. We're getting it. Um, which is cool. It's good. It's good. So, like it's good that. Blitz has more support than just uh, armories. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a good level to do it. Uh, maybe pro quest season, as we talked about last week. Anyway, I want to talk about qualifying for the Pro Tour as well, because this is probably the one that's driven the most conversation over the past 24 hours since the announcement in the community uh, and okay. what that what that kind of looks right. like. So, How do I qualify, Hayden? Well, so there's a few ways you can qualify, and, and let, me, uh, let me read this. So this is the eligibility. The Pro Tour is an invitation on the event. Players can qualify for the Pro Tour in the following ways. So the first way is obtaining invitation to Pro Tour New Jersey through in-store ProQuest season, which we know about. We've talked about that. That kicks off in just two weeks. Redeeming a PTI, so a professional tournament invitation, which people have historically from callings, from nationals, uh, from you know whatever it might be, uh, obtained from a previous event. A player, and then this is something that's, uh, and we'll, we'll get to this. I'm just going to read through and then we can talk about it. But under redeeming a PTI, a player may gift for redemption up to one PTI to another player per Pro Tour by emailing protourfabtcg.com with your name, GMID, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the player gifting the PTI must send the email from the same email address as registered. There's a few like kind of T's and C's on there. But yeah, effectively you can um, <clears throat> you can 
give the pro tour for any a PTI for any pro tour, one per pro tour. There's also ratings based invitations. Uh, maybe not quite what you thought this would be. Uh, this is not ELO invitations. This is uh, XP invitations. So the top 100 players globally, 90 day XP, are going to get an invitation, and the top 100 players lifetime XP globally are going to get an invitation. Uh, and rating based invitations do not pass down for Pro Tour New Jersey. So there's been a bit of conversation about this, Brendan. I'll let you. Uh, you got something to say or? Well, you know, I'm just a nobody. So if there's a national champion in the room. I'd like to hear what he says regarding the gifting. I mean, surely there's no way to exploit that system, is there, Hayden? Um, well, I will not be gifting a PTI. Uh, I would like to hold on to my PTIs. I mean, I guess the first thing, and this is where the, the conversations come around. There's a couple of things. So first of all, there's the XP as an invitation system, and then there's the, the gifting of PTIs. I think the rest is kind of, as you'd expect in self-explanatory it could be an issue with people selling ptis let's be honest about it right uh <laughs> could be an issue i mean it literally like it's going to happen there's no way it doesn't happen um it just it's weird right there's a i mean i'm i just don't like the word gift because yeah you can give somebody a pti that's cool but they might as well acknowledge that this is going to happen because it kind of feels like they don't understand that a pti would be sold I don't know. It's weird. I just, I really don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand like the be like, yeah, you can gift a really cool system when actually that system probably plays out with people selling them and people buying them. And that's not very competitive. <laughs> I, I don't really understand this gifting piece. And, and the reason that Alice is put in here is, you know, um, to have someone travel with you is like a, a reason you might do this. To be I honest. Mean, Cool in theory, right? Like if, if everything in the world was absolutely perfect and you could just gift your friend who worked really hard um, and played with you all of the, you know, all the competitive season, but just kind of just didn't get there. And now you can gift them one of your extra ones. You can go together. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah not how it works out most of the time. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like we're going to see. And, and unfortunately, I've already seen, and everyone's entitled to their own opinion. This is, this is my opinion. Um, as I'm seeing on like community pages and stuff and Facebook pages and discords, People asking and reaching out and, and trying to trade or buy or, or ask for these to be gifted to them. Um, and I kind of takes the shine off it a little bit for me in terms of this is the Pro Tour. This is the first Pro Tour. This is the pinnacle of what our competitive game of Flesh and Blood is at the highest level. And for you to effectively be able to buy your way into that event, it doesn't, it doesn't feel great. And people might compare it to, well, you know, in the World Series of Poker, you can buy your way in. You can buy your chip stack. And, you know, if you're not good, you're going to go out early. Cool. I, I get it. But this is an invitation on the event. Uh, except that potentially it's not. Anyway, I want to talk about, because I want to move it on a little bit, I want to talk about the XP system. We're giving 100, top 100 players 90-day uh, global XP, and that cutoff is the 23rd of March. So that 90-day that, uh, XP for this window started in December 23rd. So we're already, you know, halfway through this 90-day uh, XP, basically, to accumulate. Um, and also top 100 players lifetime XP, and we're not using the ELO system. I want you to talk about the XP system because I think you have more of a, a view on this <laughs> from just just from being in North America and, and having the skirmish season and understanding how the online piece works because online events do give you XP um, and, you know, what, for whatever that's worth. But in terms of the, um, I guess, the, the other side of it, not using the ELO system. I, I can get that. You know, the ELO system is pretty um, new. We don't, we haven't had a lot of events. A lot of regions haven't had the opportunity to play in, in larger scale events or very few, right? Even here in Australia, we've literally had a nationals and a calling two years ago, and that's it to, to 
give to Elo. Europe have had nothing so far. Calling Utrecht was was cancelled, of course, unfortunately. So I, I understand not using Elo and and you know, um, or at least not using it in full. Maybe they could have part used some Elo. Uh, there is players, you know, there is people who have been competing and playing multiple callings, of course, in North America, as you know. But the the XP system. What's your kind of thoughts on using XP? Because we had a lot of questions on this, especially in our like Discord. There was some discussion around like, is this the right thing to do? Does this incentivize like you know grinding and sharking at local events? And does this make an armory setting for a lot of people uh, now become this like ultra competitive, got to grind for XP thing? Yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and translate your question and say, oh. Hey, Brendan, I want be, I want people to be angry at you, not me. Um, but so the thing is, is the argument is not that the ELO system is good or that it's perfect and that, you know, people in Europe, like you said, they just had a calling canceled. That sucks. sucks. The argument is actually a lot more reasonable than that. It's that we've tried this before. We've used XP to qualify. We've used XP to gain uh, rewards and it sucked. Like the 1K XP thing was a joke. It was absolutely a joke. You can ask one of our good friends, Dante Del Fico. Dante, how did you get it? Wasn't playing local armories, I'll tell you that. Um, and he's not even, that's not even, he wasn't even exploiting. That was just how it went. Um, it's, the thing is, is people look at the system and they think that, oh, this is awesome. Now I can go to my, my locals and I can have a chance to be on the pro tour. Maybe. But it's really not Andy Armory who gets it. It's Eric Exploiter who gets it. The person who's like, okay, how many things can I grind online? How Very many people can I get? What? <laughs> Gary Grinder. Yeah, Gary Grinder, whatever you want to say. How many events can I play online? How many armories can I go to and ask people to scoop for me? How many, like, I can go to a, you know, now there's a new player I'm playing with. Okay, should I teach them the game? No, because I have to win. It's time, like, this is a plus EV time money kind of thing. And it's just not good. Like, it doesn't work out the way we think it does. And we've seen it multiple times. It's not like I'm just, I'm like, I'm just <laughs> saying this is going to happen without evidence. 1K XP, skirmish season. Skirmish season was miserable um, because of this. Ultimately, when we got to Road to Nationals, the invite list was so long that it didn't matter, um, which may be happening here as well. But, I mean, you had skirmishes not letting players play. You had skirmishes um, that were, you know, inflating rounds. You had people that were playing ridiculous amounts of them, people that were um, grinding online armories during times when a normal person can't. So if you think that this benefits you because you're a normal player and you get to go to an army once a week, not really. It's really the person that can play all day, you know, throughout the day, throughout the week, play international events, European events, events in APAC, whatever it is. That's who this really benefits. And it's that's what's rough. I'm not saying ELO is the way to go. I'm just saying we've seen systems and rewards be put um, put behind something like an XP barrier, and it's been a bad system. Because like the fundamentals behind that, like what you have to do to get XP is inherently very exploitable. Um, and the thing is, is like there's a lot of other arguments here too, which I'll touch on. People say, oh. Well, some of us were priced out of the calling. Well, do you know what's more expensive than a calling? Trying to play four armories a week. More. Um, more. If you want to get the XP to get into this, you're going to be, for 90 days, you're going to be playing more than four armories a week. Let's be honest. Yeah, maybe. I Like, that's the thing is, I don't know how they actually break down, but it's not like that. Or it's, it, it's not cheaper, right? <laughs> it's not like a better system in terms of like a monetary thing. Um, and... Yeah, I just I kind of forgot my second point, but I think it just leads to a lot of not fun gameplay. And I would I really want to be op like I am optimistic about this because I do realize that braided elo it was not great considering that some parts of the world had the you know their events canceled and it's inherently flawed. 
But just blindly throwing out the goals, like, okay, we're going to take it off 90 day XP. And this is something that we've seen them do. And we've seen player ex- players exploit it before. And just throwing that out there and making that the way you get into the Pro Tour. I don't understand. Like, there's no way that they thought about this over a long period of time, looked at recent relevant data, and then concluded that this this was the best system. It's very confusing to me as someone who played during those times when COVID happened and when XP gave you rewards, you know, whether it was a gold foil or it was an invite to wrote the nationals. I just, I don't like it. (laughs) I don't, but I don't have a great solution for you at the same time. I just, I wish that there was more nuance to it, right? I wish they were more detailed. I wish they were more nuanced and that we wouldn't have to run into exploitation and sort of feels bad scenarios. So I have a couple of things to, to caveat this with, but both with what we're saying, because I think it's really important to understand where we're coming, people to understand where we're coming from. First of all, this isn't we're coming from what is best for us, because regardless, we both are sitting on multiple PTIs. We both have ProQuest seasons that we're excited to go and play and, and those be worth something. And for me personally, I think I'm sitting 19th on the uh, all-time XP at the moment. I, I don't really have a concern about, I never expected to get an invitation from my XP, but if it happens, it's going to happen. And I, it looks like I'll probably get one unless, you know, the, the, the amount of XP that goes up is just uh, astronomical. But Regardless, that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't. It's not what's important to me. What is important to me here is the impact that this could have on just just gameplay, just people's people's sanity. To be honest, trying to well, grind for having seen this from other people, trying to grind these like skirmish seasons or trying to grind to a thousand XP to be the first to get the gold foil, etc. Like it is, it is really taxing on people. But when you're trying to do it to get a pro tour invitation, and it's not, I have to get to a certain threshold. It's like. It's like if you've ever played online games before where you've got to like keep your like certain level and you have to keep playing to keep that level because otherwise you drop down because people's points are mass above yours. It's it's a very tough situation to be in. And I think, Brendan, you kind of like talked about a little bit at the start, but I think it's really important is that I'm a little bit worried about what this does to like local scenes and how people start to try and gain the XP. Like, you know, do people collectively come together and be like, we're going to get these people invites. We're going to run events every week. We're going to run six round blitz events. Whatever it is, I, I share the same sentiments of, of a bit of concern, and I'm a big believer in what what Alice's have done. But I think we've we've seen this kind of happen a little bit already, and there should be some like you talked about. There should have been, uh, I guess, some learnings about this kind of use use of the XP system. And you talked about maybe what's the idea, what's the alternative, and I do have a, a couple to to propose that maybe could have been done. And I can't take credit for this. Um, a lot of these came from a conversation I have with. I don't know if he wants me to to say his name because I don't know if he wants um. people to. <laughs> David, David, you know who you are. Uh, we talked about, you know, could if you want to expand the amount of invitations to allow people to come, uh, what about expanding the amount of slots at a ProQuest? Why can't the top four get an invitation? You know what I mean? Uh, why could we not use... So if the concern is about online sort of grinding, maybe online XP doesn't count for this this 90-day XP count or whatever, uh, which I understand would alienate some people who can only play online or aren't close to stores. Uh, but then what's the what's the trade-off with the I guess the rest of the what what's happening outside of that right um, so I think there is a few maybe other solutions that could have been looked at uh, maybe we don't don't use XP at all uh, maybe we don't use ELO or XP for this we use just qualification through ProQuest or, or whatever it is but yeah and then the, the the whole thing of like we're already halfway through the 90 days or almost halfway through the 90 days that's that's really tough for some people and um, I, I feel for people who are going to be trying to 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 gain that 90 XP or are really committed to playing, but maybe they took Christmas off and didn't really play any armories in January because they're on holiday. And all of a sudden they want to get into that 90 day XP and they're, they're, they're chasing. So 
Yeah, I don't really know. We could talk about this for a long time, I think. But if I'm just sort of summing it up, um, I'm really, really excited for the Pro Tour. Uh, I've When I read the announcement yesterday, I had a real adverse reaction to the eligibility and how you get an invitation. And I actively, my first thoughts were, this is really bad for the game. I think the XP system is going to be used for this Pro Tour only, in all honesty. By the time we get to the next Pro Tour, ELO will be in effect. We'll have more regions getting callings, etc. So I do understand this this decision and I understand why not using ELO. That's fine. Uh, I just am a little bit, I'm not even a little bit, I'm quite worried and concerned about what this is going to mean over the next sort of month and a half as we head towards the Pro Tour for this this XP uh, sort of system. And I'm, I'm worried about this. I don't, I really don't like this uh, gifting idea because of just the fact that I think this is going to result in people buying their way to the Pro Tour, which I'm not in love with. But yeah, that's my piece. I can already do it with the gifts, but I want to tie this up with some nuance, right? Like with some just important takeaways. And that's that like... A lot of people are really hostile about this conversation. I don't know why. I mean, I understand that there's both sides are wrong in their own way. Um, the side that's against this is usually accused of something like entitlement, which is probably true to an extent. Like some players earn that, you know, and they think that other people don't get to have it because they got it in a certain way that they thought was the only way. And that's fine. Like that's probably not a good way to think. But fundamentally, this doesn't hurt pro players. Most of them have like, they have their invites. It doesn't hurt them. What it hurts is your local scene. Like it hurts and it hurts the system, the integrity of the XP system, the integrity of the pro tour, because people are exploiting to get it, not because people from that who have XP and play the game a lot are getting it. That's fine. Like that's probably debatably good. It's because now it incentivizes people exploiting a very flawed system. Um, and yeah, I just like, there's another argument about you know, this is to drive sales in a local community, help foster locals. And that's fine as well. But this is definitely not what was needed to do that. And it might actually have a net negative effect on your local community because there's so there's more on the line, right? Um, and yeah, it's just weird. And I think that the one takeaway, I like the one kind of ending thing I want to say is just that it doesn't hurt like me and Hayden. I think it hurts like the game and the 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 casual community more than anything. And I I'm coming from an ex, uh, from a place where I've seen this happen. I've experienced this multiple times. Whether it was one kid XP or if it was invites to road to nationals or skirmish seasons, like I've seen it. Um, and yeah, I think that it's important to try to understand where we're coming from when we talk about this. If your immediate reaction is to you know, have like an immense hatred to the other side of this conversation. I'm sure we'll get some some feedback on it in terms, and that's fine. Yeah. But as I say, people are entitled to their own opinion, and I've I think Brennan's done a much better job of being more objective than I have on this because I think the 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 gifting of the PTIs really rubbed me up the wrong way in terms of like you know almost being able to basically buy your way into the Pro Tour. Whereas if I'm being a bit more objective, that probably shouldn't matter as much. But the the XP thing, as Brennan says, I think the the community concerns and the integrity concerns are, are an issue, and maybe that could have resulted in uh, just approaching the XP system in a different way for this particular qualification period. Maybe that's all it would have taken, uh, you know, maybe that's all it takes to to have this probably have a different end result. But anyway, we've said enough on it. People can share their thoughts. Let us know what they think. I'm sure they will. Yeah. All right, Brendan. Everfest is out this weekend. Moving right along. Friday release. Full spoiler is up. Or full preview is up. Uh, I don't know if it's in the Fab TCG card gallery, but on FabDB, all the cards are up. You can go and start brewing and, and doing what you like, playing on TTS, uh, proxying, getting ready, playing with your friends, getting ready for ProQuest season. Uh, and then Armories next week or any events from Friday onwards, Everfest is legal. So go enjoy. Uh, send us pictures of your Icelander deck, of your, you know, your new prism and 
uh, Guardian decks. How are you building Bravo? We'd love to see. So, yeah, um, very, very cool sort of... Uh, I love when new sets come out. I love the constructed scene for the first week because people are, like, scrambling to get cards. People are, like, trying out random stuff. Like, it's it's such a fun environment to be in, I think, especially as the ProQuest don't start for another two weeks. So, locals and armories seem to be really cool and lots of, like, wacky stuff. And, yeah. Anyway, uh, our first post ever fest and post ban and errata gameplay is now up by the time this drops. Uh, we played a, a classic. We played Reinar into Bravo. I jumped on Brute for a you know a bit of a new take on Reinar to a degree, new cards anyway. And we had a look at, I guess, Briar for our first take on the channel of what it looks like post ban, post errata. How is Briar shaping up? And, uh, you know, I think the deck's still very strong. But anyway, go check that out up on YouTube. Brendan, anything else from you to, to talk about to plug? All right, so just going to speed through these ones. I did talk with Chalice, the legendary Flesh and Blood cosplayer on last week's Time in the Round, so go check out check that out if you're interested. This week will be Tim Bunn. You might recognize that last Ooh. name. But Tim Bunn is a legend in his own right. He's actually the world champion of a game called Sky Tear and was quite the Netrunner player. And, of course, we all know him as a marvelous Flesh and Blood player as well. So check that out. It's coming out this week. Want to shout out to Twitter Spaces. We've been doing a lot of Twitter Spaces. Um and they've been great. They're fantastic, like classroom style. We bring people up on stage, collaborative. Check it out. Um, I highly, highly recommend you engage with that medium of content because I'm starting to think it's the future. Final shout out here is just a thank you to all the Arsenal Pass patrons. It means so much to us, and we've just been so happy with the, the growth of it. But more than that, the community that we fostered. And, you know, it's awesome to have the Arsenal Pass Discord nowadays. Um, we do have a lot of extra content on there if you're interested, including deck text, deck guides, as well as extra podcasts. But anyway, Hayden, we're running a little tight for time. Let's uh, head into the commanded cookout. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fire up the grill. Yeah, I've got a shorter question this week because we are uh, running short on time. We want to make sure we do give justice to these classes, but we might do sort of more than half next week. So that's fine. Uh, the question comes from our Patreon Discord, actually, from Professor Fennel. I don't know where he got the name from, but a big hello, Fennel, if you're, uh, I don't know if it's Pokemon related or other podcasts related. But anyway, uh, Professor Fennel says, where are the pants? There's a helm, chest, arm, and leg slot for equipment. Most, uh, However, most leg slotted items are boots. In the uh, ARPG Path of Exile, a game also developed in New Zealand. It's, it's a good game. There's also a noticeable lack of pants slots. Could this be cultural? Uh to be fair, in, Austra in New Zealand, we do like to wear a lot of shorts and uh, stubbies and short shorts. So maybe. Professor Finnell also asks, on a more serious note, do you have any predictions on the future of equipment? Do you think LSS could ever expand the number of slots or possibly introduce attachments to add on to existing equipment slots to add modularity? Mm. Maybe armor that has charges, system for X amount of uses. I know you're going to talk about this one. Do you have any ideas for a specific piece of armor or changes you would like to see? Well, I've actually never thought about it that way for some reason. Oh, we talked about kind of it. Now it's kind of, I mean, it, now that you know, I've heard it, it sounds like a natural evolution, if maybe, right? You could expand the armor slots if you wanted to. Maybe it would get a little too cluttered. I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, additions, mods to armor, I think that that is potentially a, a design space. Not sure how that actually plays out in terms of functionality. And also I'm worried about... Uh, how it's represented on the board but it sounds cool and potentially hating your thoughts well, we've already seen soul right which modifies a board section right by putting putting cards under a hero uh we've got two arsenal slots now with new horizon why can't something give an additional equipment spot right why can't you have uh i don't know and i guess we have offhand now which kind of maybe takes care of like the idea of like maybe you have gloves and then you have 
a second something but you know maybe maybe there's something maybe there's you you have a chess piece that enables you to have an amulet which comes along with it or something so i don't know uh could be something to explore i really like the idea of like charges as like an x use on an equipment so maybe an equipment has like x uses so maybe it's like uh you know it comes into you know starts the game with three charge counters on it and then you can instant speed give plus one to an attack action or something um as an you know as a reaction or something and then when three pieces are gone it, it breaks uh, or you know maybe it has a system where you defend with it uh, like similar to temper but if you defend with it you lose a charge counter for instance so yeah i don't know i think there could be um some there's some there's some really cool space to explore with equipment because it starts in play which is like a really cool feature of flesh and blood right it's one of the most unique things that you start full with your equipment so it's a really cool place to explore i think but i think also alice has to be a little bit careful about how they explore it uh you know you've already seen some cards that are borderline very strong in the equipment slot we've got mask of momentum we've got bloodsheath galata we've got you know um new horizon gives two arsenal spots so they do i think have to be be careful and i think they're playing in this wheelhouse of mostly impacting the game uh either at a, a one a one-time use a interaction with like damage whether it be arcane or physical or in legendary slots often this idea of like a more of a longevity piece so i think they can play around with that a little bit uh, maybe we see some changes. I really like the idea of the charge counters and would like to see that. I don't have any specific ideas of equipment I would like to see um, off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, I would I would like to see LSS be in the future creative with the equipment slot uh, within reason. I think they've got, to, they've, they've got to be careful as well. So with that, on to the main topic of the pod. And we're going to be talking about Everfest and its effect on class constructed and how each class is looking to shape up in this new meta. All right, Hayden. Give me a little breakdown of what we're talking about. Yep. So over the next two weeks, the next two pods, we are going to talk about each class and each hero within that in Flesh and Blood and uh, how their Everfest is impacting Class Constructed. And what we're going to talk about is probably a little bit of where they've come from in the meta, where they're going to, key cards, uh, any new archetypes, things that we are excited about personally. We're going to talk about some of the most important cards we think from Everfest that are going to have the impact on this. And then we're going to wrap it up and talk about where we find this class probably sitting, a bit of a prediction of where we think meta is going to go in terms of a bit of a grade for that uh the, those classes and those heroes and where they sit which i'm excited to to give a little bit of a placing a bit of a ranking and then see how uh, how accurate we might be as we head into the pro quest season and then onwards to the pro tour season anyway brendan let's get into it we're going to start with we're going to start with the big one we're going to start with the main one we're going to start with rune blades so the rune blades have been you know dominating the last two formats uh, i think that's without a doubt um it's the one that probably everyone want to tear first so we'll start with it within there of course we've got briar viscerian chain uh we're going to kind of interweave these a little bit and talk about them as as rune blades but talk about them separately and then we will talk a bit more about the decks uh towards the end so if we sort of go over where were they in the last meta well briar's coming from being basically the deck to beat right brennan like this was mm-hmm. this was briar up here uh whether it be mount heroic or cheerios and then you've got Viscera, which you know performed reasonably well within the within the format as well, sort of a late a late bloomer and chain, which you'd say definitely took a dip after the seeds banning, but has been pretty solid within the meta, right? Yeah, for sure, Hayden. I would, <laughs> I could see some people saying that Runeblade may have just been, <laughs> I don't know, like the main the main descriptor or main topic of flesh and blood for a long time. It's been Runeblade, 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 especially when it comes to competitive gameplay and the meta. So we saw a lot with Chain and Monarch, um, and he persisted through that band in the Tales of Aria as well, getting second at US Nationals and obviously a myriad of other places at other events. Um, but then the tone was sort of changed to Briar, which was a very popular, um, but also dominant deck in that format as well. So I think that it, you're right. 
Runeblade has uh, seen a bit of favor in the past few sets, and obviously Briar's seen her ban, uh, which also affects Chain significantly, the Prundalone ban. Um, Chain saw Seeds banned, but uh, Viserai almost didn't get touched. Uh, obviously, Tempo Viserai would, would love to have Plunder run, but the Viserai deck that won Australian Nationals, I mean, that one only got upgrades. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk about the cards. In terms of, I was going to say, probably just for a bit of, I don't know, a bit of groundwork, like the strength of these Rune Blades in the last format was really their diversity, right? The, the split damage continues to be what drives Rune Blade to be very difficult to deal with. Multiple attacks, and and I'm gonna, you've got to say it, Rosetta Thorn really gave that bump from Tales of Aria to all three of the of the Rune Blades, and I think that that split damage across the attacks and this continued ability to go wide, we saw it hit with Briar to a degree, continues to drive these these Rune Blades, right? Yeah, and I think that Spellbound Creepers is also not too bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty so. good. So if we talk about some of the new cards that we're getting in the set, uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll talk about these cards and we'll talk about what we think the impact is of these cards. And we've got a few key cards for each of the, the classes and heroes. So we're going to start with Swarming Gloomvale, I think. So um, Swarming Gloomvale is the zero cost uh, three attack. I'm not going to read the text. Uh, I will probably put these up on screen. If not, you can look these up. What do you think of this card in terms of what it's giving to Runeblades and Neverfest? Yeah, so I had the pleasure of playing this um, against a fellow opponent. Who would that be? May have may have won a national championship, and it's good, right? This card is was uh, particularly very, very good in Briar pre-errata, but even post-errata, it's, it's a very good card. Um, obviously, you can run this in Viscera as well, but all you have to do is create that one aura, and you have go again, which is fantastic in Briar, but creating two, which is not extremely hard, um, and you do get the plus one, so the zero for four, the defense for three, that's a great weight in Runeblade. This, this third, the, the third clause, sorry, <laughs> I mean, if you can pull it off, your opponent not being able to block um, arcane damage from sources you control. That's uh, a great way to finish out games, <laughs> right? And probably just a great way to do damage. Yeah, I think the fourth, the third ability, sorry, the fourth ability. The third ability is, the fourth is a super secret ability. Uh, the third ability is kind of whatever, I think. Uh, but those first two abilities are really key. And, and Briar, yeah, I think Briar, I actually think Briar gets the least from this, to be honest, in terms of just what, what you're getting. Uh, because you take Chain. Chain can make a Soul Shackle on a turn. That's your first aura. Probably very easily make a Rune Chant as well. So you, you probably always go again, but very often you're going to be able to go four with go again. So I think that's really powerful. I think Viscerite gains the most from this, though. A deck that wants to make a Rune Chant. So you have Viscerite's ability. If you've played a non-attack action and then you play this, you're making a Rune Chant. So you've already got natural go again anyway, but then you know maybe uh, you play an Oath of the Arknight first. You're up to four plus the buff with the, the go again as well. So... Yeah, I think this card is really strong. Zero cost. Uh, I think we're going to see this play into all three decks, but I think it kind of goes Briar, um, Chain, Viscera in terms of the impact from uh, bottom to top there. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Revel and Runeblood. This card is very interesting to me. This is the zero cost uh, Runeblade non-attack action that uh, generates four rune chant tokens if you've played a non-attack and an attack action this turn, and it has, has go again, of course, but it does destroy all your rune chants at the end of turn. So this to me very much speaks like a, a, a tempo card, but I think this has, a, again, a place in probably potentially all of the, the Runeblades in this format, right? You would say that, okay, we talk about Viscerai, this probably has a place more so in maybe aggressive builds more than an OTK because of that, that blow-up clause. You don't really want to be playing this in an OTK version. But even Cheerios, you know, your deck is split pretty evenly between non-attacks and attacks. Uh, I don't know in Mount Heroic how much ability this has to, to fit in, but in, in maybe Cheerios versions, if those decks still exist with now Ball, Lightning, and Plunder on gone, 
Uh, this could maybe replace Ponderon in some way, shape, or form. I definitely feel like you play this in Briar. Um, in both versions? I mean, I think so, right? Like, it's very, very good. That being said, I mean, it's been a while since I've played the Mount Heroic, you know, Mount Heroic Cheerios-esque one, so I have to revisit that, but it's not too hard, even in that version of the deck, to have an attack action, or a non-attack action, then an attack action. Just play this as a follow-up, get your lightning token, um, hit with an attack, potentially swinging the blade after. Like, that's really, really good. So, I see this as being played in most Briar decks, but maybe not like the Go Tall Earth deck. Yeah, this and seems very good to me in Cheerios, though. Like, in the zero-cost Briar, this feels like exactly what you're looking for to replace Ponderon in terms of your deck's 50-50, you're wanting to go often like nimbleism, you know, rabble, whatever, this into another attack. Or the good thing as well, this thing that's going to pay you off a lot is this into blade is just very, very good as well. So that's often going to be the, the play pattern, I think, is like, yeah, you only have one attack action, has go again, but you have you have the blade. And that's what I think is going to pay off a lot of the time. It works so well in that because it just, a non-attack and attack action, it plays so well into it. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you that in Cheerios, this is... An extremely good card. Um, but like you said, also in Tempo Viscerai, chain. I think it's going to be... Yeah, Chain for sure as well. Chain is weird just in the sense that, uh, you know, the the threshold that you need to you needed to hit in order to have um, a non-attack action card without Blood Tet was really high. This seems to be on par with that power level. But, you know... We'd really have to see how effective the four rear enchants are to like pushing damage on your opponent when you're able to get it versus having a non-blood deck card in your deck that can just get banished and lead to you blanking. So uh, chain is my biggest consideration, Viscerai and Briar for sure. Yeah, it's harder to play. Imagine if we still had Seeds around. How easy would it be to play? Yeah, what if you had a non-attack action card that costs zero that you could play from your banish zone? What if, you just, what if you just had a non-attack action that didn't cost two to play from your banish? Just full stop. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, also very good with creepers, I think, as well. Uh, obviously, you play the non-attack, play the attack. Maybe it doesn't have go again, but you can creepers this to get the, the go again, the action point as well. So I think those two cards are the most impactful to Runeblade. Obviously, Majestics kind of makes sense. The power level's high. I want to talk about Runeblood Incantation next. Uh, this card is very interesting to me, and I think this has a lot of different utility uses. So this is the one-cost Runeblade Aura, uh, which, you know, Aura is definitely a theme in the set. Has go again, defense for two, and uh, the red comes in with three counters on it. Yellow, two, blue, one, rah, rah, and then at the start of each turn, you remove a counter, get a rune chant. When there's no counters left, destroy it. So this is a, yeah, I think this is a cool design, first of all, but a very interesting card that pays you off over turns as opposed to just giving you three rune chants up front. Yeah, I feel like this is very good for Vistrai. <laughs> like this, this is exactly the kind of thing that you would like, right? More ways to invest in future rune chants while you play out your sort of slow, more combo-esque game plan. Um, like I think this card is fantastic in that in that case. Is it played in Briar and Chain? Like in Cheerios Briar, probably not because it costs one. Um, and the effect is not insane. In Chain, I don't know if I see it as well. I guess if you're, t it's really good for turning on things like you know meet and greets and stuff like that. But I really see this as a I'm gonna be playing in Viscera. What about you? Yeah, I think similar. I'm not not sold on this card just yet. We'll have to see how it kind of ends out and, and plays out i'm not uh yeah i think it's good though i like the design space i think there's lots to explore with it that that every turn leads to a lot of things you could do with it i want to talk about a couple of other cards to round it out uh, i want to talk about shrill of skullhorn uh this is the attack that gets plus plus three if you've played an aura this turn um and so it's base attacks for red cost two 
this is a really interesting one because it could be a two cost for seven, which is really powerful. And I think very easy to do. Uh, Chain is kind of the deck that I think this fits into naturally. But again, you're so, your spots with no blood debt are so, uh, so tight. But the fact that this is always going to be two for seven in that deck, or even the blue could be an option. Uh, you know, you're going to be playing two for five. That, that's quite a good uh, payoff. Uh, but even in, in Viscera potentially or other decks, I just think this this card is the power level isn't as high, but it's consistent, and that's uh, that really intrigues me. Yeah, I can see the blue for two for seven at red. I wonder, you know, if that's good enough for chain. Um, just because chain doesn't really play too many two cost attack actions, you know, really being command and conquer. So I think um, the criteria for a two cost stack action is pretty high. But Hayden, I want to quickly talk about a card that actually wasn't in our notes, and that's going to be Drowning Dyer, because I think this card is pretty powerful. So Drowning Dyer, if you've created an aura, it gains Dominate. But the two is for, um, sorry, the red one is two for five. And if you have, uh, you know, if it hits, um, you're able to put a non-attack action card from your graveyard on the bottom of your deck, which doesn't sound crazy. But in the context of... Runeblade having some of those broken non-attack actions that exist, it's pretty good. Like, if you think about playing Viscerai, a lot of the time, the point when you really run out of gas is when you run out of things like Mordred Tide, and those are huge turns. Being able to put a Mordred Tide on the bottom of my deck, which I think is one of the most powerful non-attack actions in the game, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I think... Viscerai would be the home for this card, if any, because Briar and uh, Chain already have access to this effect in a better form, I think. You've got, you know, rights in um, both. Both have the rights, right? The different, the two different rights. Plus, you've got So Tomorrow uh, in, in Briar. So, yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting. I, it hasn't piqued my interest maybe as much as, as you, but uh, I think if there's a reason why you need to start playing maybe anti-fatigue cards in, in Viscerai, maybe because you're playing more aggressive Viscerai, then this could be this could be a sideboard option, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to talk about uh, Vixen Quillhand. This is the Runeblade Majestic Equipment, the arm slot that breaks to give two rune chance and go again as an action and has Arcane Barrier 1, doesn't defend. This card's cool. When I saw this card, I was like, this is a really, first of all, I love the art, but also this is just a really cool card in terms of a one use, uh, give you two rune chance, but has Arcane Barrier because we haven't seen as many of these. We have Bullseye Braces and and, um, and Ranger, but we haven't seen as many with like Arcane Barrier and, and an effect, a one-time effect. So, yeah, I think this card's really cool. I think this is going to obviously just be an upgrade on Nullroon Gloves if you're playing in the deck. Uh, probably now becomes the default piece of Null, sort of Null, uh, Arcane Barrier rather than the the Crown for most Runeblade decks. And then also just this one-time use is, is really strong, especially in aggressive decks. Uh, so I think this is going to probably see play, first of all, as, as a piece of Arcane Barrier, but then potentially in really aggressive decks could just be default over Grasp of the Arc Knight where you want the two damage as opposed to the three defense over two and one. Yeah, I think about this card in the context of Chain Mirrors and <laughs> what kind of role it would have played there. Because often you would actually choose not to have the Arcane Barrier just because the armor that you could play over it was so powerful. Um, so yeah, I, I really like this card. And like you said, there's not really too much to analyze in the sense that in most situations, it's going to be a strict upgrade to uh, Null Rune Gloves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, another Majestic for us, Runic Reflection. Uh, yeah, Runic Reclamation, rather. Um, is a three cost seven power majestic. Uh, it says if it hits a hero, you may destroy an aura they control, and if you do, create a room chart. Very cool ability. The kind of natural is like very good against prism, right? A card that works yeah. well into prism, but even like into you know maybe other rune blades where you're attacking into and breaking their incantations or breaking their their rune chance. 
Uh, this card is is very interesting to me. I think this is a card that we're going to see essentially played as just like a, a kind of uh, a targeted slot, more of a sideboard slot. But I actually think this card has a lot of, of wide utility, especially as more auras come into the game. And we've seen some auras printed uh, in this set, of course, whether it be in classes or across the generics. So yeah, I think this is um, it's an interesting card. It also can break, you know, break soul shackles, can, can do a lot of things. Yeah, I think if you ever played Ninth Blade of the Blood Oath as an anti-prism card in Runeblade, you've got uh, you've got an upgrade here. Obviously not counting this way, it plays on main deck, but I think about the times when I play Chain and I just threw a thing in my deck because I didn't want to die a Herald Prism. Well, this is Ninth Blade in that deck, but with an upside, you can actually, you know, it's a pretty significant upside against uh, something like a Prism. So I think it's a great card and it's going to immediately be a staple for, for that matchup at least. Yeah. Yeah, definitely something that I have my eye on, especially if I'm playing, like you say, Viserai or probably certain Briar decks, like, you know, Heroic Briar decks, I think it's really interesting. But even into Chain as an option, I think it's uh, really, yeah, it's one I'm going to definitely look at. It's on, on the radar. Reek Corruption. Uh, I want to talk about this card last. This is the two cost uh, effort. If you've created an aura this turn and Reek Corruption hits, uh, the opponent discards a card. I think this is just a worse consuming volition, to be honest. It costs. <laughs> one extra for one extra power and a slightly different uh wording you know it's it's an aura created as opposed to arcane damage so it's a little bit harder to prevent the the trigger obviously but it's you know you can still defend it out so i'm, I'm not on level this card consuming does consuming block for two i think it does no defense for three uh, blocks for three mm-hmm. i mean yeah yeah i saw this card um yeah two for four uh, i don't know I don't know if that really does it for me, but we'll see. It's potential. Like any kind of like extra di- extra disruption in Runeblade is pretty nice because I felt like we were already, you know, really stretching to get that sometimes. So this could be another tool in the toolbox for decks that don't want to interact with you, um, particularly, you know, like something like Bolton. This could be decent against if Bolton Sabres comes back. Next card here is a funny card, Hayden. Amulet of Assert- Assertiveness. So this is the one. Um, <laughs> the yellow tech reaction with Go Again. Uh, and when you hit banish the top card of your deck, if it's an attack action card, you may play it this turn. But you can only activate Amulet of Assertiveness attack reaction if you have four more cards in hand. So basically, you've played an attack from Arsenal, or you've had maybe five cards at the start of the turn. So it's um yeah, I, I put this one in because I think this is a if I'm thinking about where this could go, like Cheerios Briar is the one that kind of stands out to me. It's yellow, so it's maybe a little bit awkward, but the the ability that this has to um, potentially be you know effectively an extra card so you play it on one turn it has go again which is great it's a not it's a non-attack action for you know your embodiment of lightning and then later down the track it could turn into an extra card an extra uh, attack action which is, is really cool yeah absolutely i think about the other amulet that effectively fun- functions like a mana conquer and that was what i thought when i was first reading this for some reason i was kind of blanked but i saw it uh, this is obviously a tangent. I saw a hilarious meme where it's like, Mom, can we have Command and Conquer? And it's like, no, we have the Amulet at home. And it's just so accurate. It's called the Amulet of Disruption? Or I don't know. I feel like that's what it should be called. I don't know if that's actually what it's called. But yeah, I know the one you mean. Um, I think that card is fine. Uh, I think you're... Yeah, I don't know. This one speaks to me as more of like a, a power. Like this has some really high ceiling for creating some big turns with, with something like a Cheerios Bright. But anyway, move us on. Brendan, what do we got next? For sure. So finished off on the Runeblade card here, cards here. I want to talk to you, Hayden, about are these cards opening any other archetypes? I think specifically, you know, one of the one one of the ones that jumps out to me. I know this isn't one that's on your list. Is something like Drowning Dire, 
uh, potential to have maybe a more go tall stat strategy in something like Viscerai, which we haven't really seen um, outside of single attack actions like Ninth Blood of the Blood Oath or Arc Knight Ascendancy. The idea of playing a um, Oak Oath of the Arc Knight into Drowning Dire, although the resource to do that is a bit rough, seems really cool, right? You get to dominate 100%, and you also get to recycle one of those very powerful non attack actions onto the bottom of your deck, whether it be Mortar Tide or Become the Arc Knight or something like that. Yeah. I think the archetype. I was just going to say on that archetype. I think one of the things we've we've kind of left to the wayside hasn't been talked about in a while. Is you have a card, especially in Viscerae. Um, oh no, Arknight Ascendancy. <laughs> I almost forgot the name, which we haven't seen be played in for you know a very long time. The, the majestic, uh, and there's a few buffs in this set as well. Uh, albeit you know one of them even bigger than that is is an instant. So you know it's maybe not as nice as non attack action, but yeah, I think there's. Uh, sorry, that's definitely not what I meant to say. Not that card. What I meant was the uh, the one that destroys items <laughs> and, and gets the buff. But yeah, in terms of other archetypes, I think this idea of like more aura based sort of um, auras and matters is really interesting and in how those kind of interact. Like whether that be we're playing Revelin Rune Blood in non viscerai decks because it creates creates auras that then trigger other things, like the Gloom Veil, um, like maybe the uh, the Reek of Corruption. So. I don't know if we're going to see much of a shift in terms of archetypes. I think that aggressive-based Viscerai decks become maybe more more viable, or that tempo strategy becomes better with some of these cards we get. I think, um, you know, bannings were impacted prior, but I think Mount Rock Briar, for instance, is still still very good. So, yeah. Well, important to talk about that is, like, coming in, regardless of what some of these heroes are getting uh, in Everfest, a signif- probably the most significant change to the meta is actually going to be the bannings and errata surrounding, you know, a lot of Briar's cards, which are also Chains cards and Viscerides. So Plunder Run and then the um, Ball Lightning for Briar specifically and Briar's errata. I think that's going to have the largest impact on the game, actually potentially more than any card that's printed in Everfest. So, you know, really interesting to keep that at the, at the front of your mind as you look for what's really going to be the best deck moving into the next format. So on that note, moving on to things that I think people want to know from us, which is how do we see these three competing in the format? How would we rank them? And we'll end with our sort of grading on these. But how would we play these right now as well? So think about Runeblades right now. First of all, which Runeblade do you think you would play and how would you play it? And uh, what about the other two that you maybe would have next on your list? For sure. So I would definitely play Viscerai with the caveat that I think it's going to be a heavily saturated Prism meta. And traditionally, that's been a very bad matchup for him. So I would wonder if the new um, seven power cost of Blizzard of Auras is good enough. I would suspect that it's maybe not. It's still going to be a rough matchup. But if I have that card, in addition to some other new cards that have been printed in my deck as Viscerai, can I actually play a tempo game plan against uh, against Prism and eventually win out? I think that the Viscerai deck was extremely strong in the last format, and it's only seen upgrades with the, with Everfest coming out. That being said, I think other <laughs> other decks as well, particularly decks that it was not very good against, saw better upgrades. <laughs> um, so Briar probably still good, but I don't think it's going to be you know having sort of a stranglehold on the meta like it used to. And I would not play the new chain just because I genuinely don't like the new playstyle of chain um, that we've kind of seen him build. Uh, seen like that's the way he's been built recently, like the less blood that um, I'm not a fan of it. So I'd be looking at Viscerai. And that's actually one of the top decks I'm looking at, just not even just in Runeblade, but in total. With all the, yeah, in total. Yeah. So I think 
Um, I think Briar, which you didn't mention there, I think Mount Heroic actually, uh, it gets, you get some tools, right? And there's some ways that you can build. Yeah, we, we lose Plunder Run, but that was less important for Heroic. You lose Ball Lightning, but there's, you know, you've got Swimming Gloomvale as a, another attack that has go again. I think there's there's things in here that I guess are still going to mean that Briar is very good, and it's probably going to be important that it's good because of Prism. Uh, Prism seems to be getting a lot of upgrades. And that's one of the things that is a concern for me with like Viseraya. I mean, obviously I love that deck, just, you know, played it at Nationals and and would like to continue to play it in some way, shape or form. I think it maybe changes a little bit. I would probably be building it maybe a little bit less OTK focused, but that's only so I could try and beat Prism. Uh, but I think, you know, Briar is, if you're worried about Prisms, for instance, uh, Briar might be the option. Bravo as well. Bravo is also traditionally a tough matchup for, for Viseraya, to be honest. So it'd be interesting. They get a lot of tools as well, uh, but it, it's... It's probably going to be a prism and, and guardian meter to a degree, so I think it, you have to take that into consideration. Anyway, want to give uh, want to give some grades on these in terms of where I think these heroes are going to shake out as we head into the Everfest meter. And it's important to note these grades we're giving uh, really about where we see the kind of like the strengths. So like, have they gained tools? Have they not gained tools? Have they gotten worse? Have they gotten better? And where they sit within that. So I'm going to give Briar a B plus. I think Briar is, uh, despite the bannings and the erratas and what it's lost, I think it's gone from like an A plus or an A to like a B plus in this new meta. Uh, I'm going to give Viserai the same. I think Viserai is, is strong and I really like that deck and I think there's more tools to add and, and adapt that deck now. Chain, I'm going to give a C. I completely agree with you, Brendan. I think that Chain is the worst affected by what we get in Everfest in terms of it basically gets very little and also got hit quite significantly by the Plunder Run. Um, and it was already, to be fair, I think not that strong. Yep, so I'm completely aligned with you. Same grades on both Briar and Chain. I would rate Viserai a little bit higher at an A minus, which, you know, maybe doesn't make in this make a lot of sense in the context that I'm sitting next to the Australian national champion who piloted Viserai, but I think that deck is extremely powerful. Um, I don't know how much Guardian there will be in the meta, because I think that a Prism Guardian meta is a little bit of an oxymoron, because Prism... The deck that, you know, the Control Prism deck tends to be very good against Guardians, so there's got to be some sort of equalization in a third deck um, that will push Prism down. But I think that Guardian can exist on like a 50-50 split with Prism um, in a normal meta. So I think that, yeah, I'm looking at Viserai. Honestly, it's one of my top decks that I want to pick. The only thing that stops me from playing Viserai, the only caveat I have, is that we're back in the Monarch meta, uh, or at least the philosophy of the Monarch meta, where it's like, you don't want to be good against Prism, you want to destroy yeah. Prism, and deck you want to play. That's, yeah, that's the concern I have as well. But there's testing to be done. There's things to work out. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I also think that, yeah, I, I go back to Briar and Viserai within that. Anyway, we talked about Guardian. Let's move on to our second class that we're going to talk about in these uh, Everfest Deep Dives. We're going to talk about Guardian. We've got, a, we've got a new hero to talk about as well within this. So, of course, all-time Bravo and now Bravo star of the show. Uh, where were we in the last meta? Well, all-time ended up being one of the top decks in the meta, right? We saw it. You know, really put up a really strong performance in Australia, uh, New Zealand Nationals. A lot of decks on day two. It was in both finals of Australia and New Zealand Nationals. It was the final in the Hong Kong Regional Championship. Uh, we saw this deck really come out in a big way after the US Nationals and has continued to just get better and better in terms of the, the control deck that uh, I guess really preyed on, on Briar, right? And then you have Bravo, which was, you know, I think ebbed and flowed on where it was in the meta. Uh, it's... People were playing more aggressive builds, less aggressive builds. I think Bravo's always been there, but it definitely was was under old time in the last meta, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, like you said, like the cool thing about the last meta is I think, I think that the move towards old him was like a very sort of intelligent switch by the meta. I think I think that was very good against Briar, which was 
obviously popular. Um, Bravo as well was decent. I think we saw a little bit less Bravo than Old Hem. Um, but yeah, especially in the addition of some of these new cards, I think the stock of these decks is, uh, has definitely gone up in this meta, except for potentially more Prism, which is probably a caveat we're going to have a lot. Yep, we'll talk about that. So let's start with Bravo to start of the show. Like we've Now we've seen the full set. Initially, we speculated on you know Bravo and what that might look like. What do you think of this hero now? What is your first take on, on Bravo start of the show as we head into an Everfest constructed meta? What are people going to do with it? So it is, it's a bit complicated, right? Because it's hard to wrap your head around that hero ability. It seems a bit funky, but it is going to have access to the largest card pool in the game. So, I mean, that brings us into some sort of theoretical territory where uh, I don't know how correlated that is with power level, but it's definitely non-zero. So I think that that's a good thing. Um, his ability, how consistent it will be, I have no clue. But once he pulls, like if he's pulling it off, even a few times of the game, it's it's so devastating and powerful that maybe that's enough. Yeah, about you, Hayden. Yeah, I, it's so unknown. I think um, so. We can take a benchmark of of, of Bravo, original Bravo, right? Michael Trace Bravo, and say, well, he can play in a similar way. Uh, but we don't have the dominate mechanic, but we have access to this really wide card pool. So what can we do with Bravo? Is there a, is there a sort of amalgamation between old time and Bravo? And this is where Bravo star of the show sits or, you know, could he be a control deck? Could he be an aggro deck? There's so much that Bravo could do. I mean, we saw old time be played in an aggressive and a defensive manner. So it's really open. I think the, the hero ability is, I don't think you're going to build a deck that exploits this hero ability. I think you're going to build a, a deck that uses this hero ability one to two times a game when the hand lines up and uh, it's probably going to be driven through a card like Pulse of Eisenloft, to be honest, uh, or, or uh, Pulse of Candlehold. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that. I think probably this is going to take a while to figure out Bravo style of the show. But let's talk about some of the cards that we get from Everfest because there's a lot of Guardian cards. I think it might have been the class that got the most from the set in terms of just pure card numbers because we get the Legendary and stuff as well. But let's start with Nerves of Steel. Uh, this is the three-cost guardian action aura uh that when it comes into play so it removes a minus one counter from a chest equipment you control and battle worn and temper equipment you control don't trigger if they're defending an attack with two or less uh attack so really first of all the first thing i think it was really interesting against dash uh without without plasma purifier so maybe it's actually not that interesting uh, uh but it, Really, this feels like the anti-Benji card, <laughs> to be honest. And I don't know how much impact this card is going to have in Classic Constructed. That's really interesting that you say that, because I think that you're right. Like, the first thing that a lot of us are going to think about is the dash pistol at two, or something like Ninja with Kadachis. And that's a use case, whether it's good that's enough good. for that use case, if it does enough, uh, enough in that situation. I don't know. But what I'm really interested for is, is this good enough against just, like, a Briar deck? Or maybe not Kadachis, but on the later down that combat chain, you're blocking a well, gust wave or something like that, like That's helping cool. block significant, yeah, significant hit triggers while not losing your armor. Because we all know how important armor is as a resource that you manage throughout the game. Uh, so I think the power level on like ceiling on this could be really high, but I could also just be kind of overplaying it. <laughs> this feels to me, and I, I can't take credit for this. I think. Tarek might have said this. Uh, it feels like a card that is um, here to balance what could be an issue with Benji in terms of just the power of that that deck and Blitz and the fact that there's, you could probably just build like a one-turn kill deck with Benji now with the specialization and 
and all the card draw and stuff. Um, it kind of feels like a bit of a balanced card to me. It doesn't really feel like a card I'm ever going to want to play. Also, this breaks if you dealt damage. So as soon as you dealt damage, this breaks. So yeah, yeah good on Kadachi's good on maybe Plasma Purifier without, uh, sorry, um, uh, Tickler Plasma Pistol without the Plasma Purifiers. But outside of that, I think the use case is like I'm wrecking my brain in this format and it's like, you know, right now it's not something. Maybe maybe ninjas default to these, you know, these two cost cards, these two attack cards, three attack cards with hundred win lines. But yeah, I don't I don't really see this card having much of an impact. So I'm ready to move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's talk about the legendary. Let's talk about uh, Stalagmite, Bastion of Eisenloft. So we have a Guardian Legendary. It's an offhand shield in this. It's the one we've been teased. The art is awesome. Uh, and it's whenever it defends. Sorry, I can't even read the card. Whenever you defend with uh, Stalagmite, create a Frostbite token under the attacking player's control, and it has Temper, and it has two two defense. So you get two uses out of it, and they get a Frostbite. This card is interesting, right? Because you already have the the other weapon. The, sorry, the other, the other offhand shield, which you can use throughout the whole game, and is great in all time decks. But maybe, you know, in uh, Bravo Star of the Show where you don't have this hero ability, you don't have, maybe you're not even running Crown of Seeds, maybe. Maybe it's a completely different deck. This is really interesting. And also potentially in aggressive decks where you get to a shorter game and you just get two uses out of this. Swing Temper with a Frostbite. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think this card is good. It's just a very different style to what we've seen so far. I mean, I think you got you got close to, um, close to the point there when you were talking about the latter, which is in an aggressive or maybe... Kind of a mid-range style deck where you're using this as a way to tempo your opponent out, or maybe you're you're only going to have those two, three, four turns for the entire duration of the game, in which a frostbite on fifty percent of those turns is massively impactful. So I think it's good, um, but I don't think it's like a fatigue weapon, which is probably pretty clear to most people. Um, in other decks, it could be a strict up- upgrade to the um, the other shield that's available. Yeah, I really like the idea of this with with an aggro. Bravo, like start of the show or old time deck, uh, pairing it with probably pairing it with, I guess the the only weapon you can, which is the one handed weapon. But um, yeah, I think this this could be could be interesting. I think it's good. I think it's the one of the best of the Guardian cards we get. I uh, spoiler for the rest of these cards. I'm not a big fan of what we get with Guardian. I think the overall kind of gain that Guardian gets is maybe not as big as this. Is a lot of cards and some some cool stuff and some I think there's some new archetypes, but I don't know if like the power level is as as high as maybe I thought when I first saw some of these cards. Anyway, with that, uh, I want to talk about Steadfast. So Steadfast is the Guardian Instant. Uh, this is three cost and says prevent the next six damage at red, and then drops down from there. That would be dealt to you uh, this turn by a source of your choice. Really interesting card. Uh, you know, Guardian traditionally plays defense reactions and relies on those cards more. What's really interesting is this card does cost three, so it works with like Anathos and stuff like that. It's a few different things this card can do. Uh, and potentially really good against Arcane from a Wizard, for instance, uh, because of, you know, just plays out better than Arcane into big turns. What's your kind of thoughts on this card? Like, where do you see this card having a place in Guardian? Yeah, I hate it. Oh, God. <laughs> like, I just it's hate like it. Blessing, right? It's like the one that came before. Yeah, yeah there's one that was created in Crucible um, that wasn't played that did something pretty Serenity similar. Or something. Uh, yeah, unless, yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. So... I hate this card because I don't think it's actually particularly good for most of the things Guardian's trying to do, but I think that it's very punishing to other decks. <laughs> Specifically Wizard, this this card is miserable to play against, probably. Um, but also, you know, if you are being fatigued by a Guardian, you're trying to set up like a big combo turn, this does make that harder. I just don't see this thing being interesting outside of fatigue. And 
I hate fatigue. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're three for six can be a good block, you know, if you are in kind of a Bravo mirror, so it's probably maybe has some use case there. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm just not a fan from a standpoint that I think it could be maybe hurtful to decks, to other decks. I don't yeah, know. I mean, just, what, what advantage does this have over a defense reaction in most Bravo lists, except for against Arcane? I guess not much, right? So you've got your three for six. That's going to be standard. Um, this has to be a single source of damage. So. so one thing it can do is it can stop Sonata from triggering your rattle bones so that you can't rattle bones a uh, ninth blade straight away. That's, uh, yep. that's about what I can see. So, and then the wizard aspect. Less excited. Yeah, less excited. Imposing visage. Um, this is a cool design. This is the X and three cost, so it costs you three plus X, and then uh, it lets you go and search your deck for an aura, put into play where the cost is X. So if you want to go and get like a, a Showtime or a three cost aura like Stamp Authority, it's going to cost you six. If you want uh, Lake Frigid, it's going to cost you five, for instance, and it has Go Again on the card, so it effectively gives you Go Again where playing that aura would not give you Go Again all the time with something like a you know, something like a um, Showtime, which is really interesting. It's blue and defense for three. What's your kind of... I know, like, we couldn't read this card at first. And there was a lot of speculation on this card. Now that you know exactly what it does, had time to think about it. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think it's really good, actually. Um, specifically for some, the use case that you talked about there. I think there's more that you can do with it as well. Um, but you can picture yourself grabbing a Showtime, um, you know, paying six for this, and then being able to swing your hammer and Arsenal, you get off Showtime. I think that's, that's very good. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think the card has got good utility. And I think utility pieces are, are really important. They always have higher ceilings, and I think it looks very good in Guardian. Um, probably any any deck where you're looking at just having a few auras, it's probably if it's a nice, especially in Bravo decks. But I think also, we'll talk about this in archetypes, I think there might be, I've talked about Aura Guardian, I think this might be a legitimate archetype, and this card plays really well into that for getting the right one that you need for that turn, whether it's one that creates a seismic, whether it's you know one that uh, gives you plus three, whether it's Emerging dominance, whatever, can help you set up these really big turns. So, speaking of big turns, Nexus Pulverize, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a really cool card and one of my favorite cards in the set uh, so far, just because it's massive. Uh, and it has the new mechanic Heave, which I think is really cool. So, it's the 10 cost, Majestic, 14 attack, Guardian attack action with Heave 3. And uh, when it hits a hero, so not Crush, when it hits a hero, their first attack during the next turn gets minus 4. It's cool, right? I like Heave, like you said. Cool mechanic. Being able to utilize that, uh, you know, that blue in your hand that's left over, uh, put this in your arsenal, invest into the next turn. I love, I like that. Uh, I like that concept in theory in Flesh and Blood. Uh, the whole investing into your next turn hasn't really played out in the last year or so as we've been in a hyper aggressive format. But, you know, this, this card is, has a lot of utility aside of that. And obviously the format is potentially slowing down. So you play it, play it for the heave cost. This goes into your arsenal. You get your seismic surge tokens. You go over to your next turn. Maybe you're playing Bravo. You're now, it does cost seven, so it's not just going to be an easy two blues, but you know, you do have a seven cost, pitch three blues, use the last two to um, use Bravo's ability or potentially pummel this if you have that card as well. But somehow, I think it's great. You know, it's, it's good. It's high power. It's fun. I don't think it's going to see a lot of play. Yeah. I mean, just at, at base value, it's 14 plus minus four, right? So it's 18 damage swing. In, in certain you know roundabout sort of way if you look at it 
I think this card is is powerful. I think Heave is interesting because you can also play around Heave as the opponent, you know. Now, put a lot of pressure on my opponent while they've got this Heave card that's clearly coming in next turn. Um, and this card can be can cause you some issues, right? Like, it's really hard to cast. Uh, if you get trapped in your arsenal, it could be a disaster. But yeah, yeah. I, I really like the the card, and I think it's going to see play. If I'm looking at this card, it's probably it's more of a build-around card. Um, but the, the 18 kind of damage net is massive and, and can't be understated. We've got a Fable. The Guardian yep. Fable. So I think this is one of the strongest fables we've we've seen, to be honest. Uh, so it's legendary. Uh, it's a gem. Doesn't defend. It's it's Guardian only, and uh, it says when you when you pitch it, create a seismic surge, which you know another another aura we've seen, another aura creation, and just really strong for delaying that. Uh, so you can pitch this to you know you activate your chest piece, get a seismic, get two seismics. Uh, you're already two resources in for next turn plus use the resources you have now to pay for a card so um yeah i, I think this card is going to see play in in probably most of the guardian decks i don't think all because some of them playing like zealous beltings or stuff where you don't necessarily want that seismic over that turn you'd rather the the resources or hit a, a cost count is more important but i think this is this has a lot of uh strength in terms of what it gives you over setting up those two turns and this with heave is fantastic right so mm-hmm. yeah i think um a lot of fables haven't seen too much play. Uh, you know, like I really most sees play in Kano, Heart of Findal. Uh, we saw it in in on the national stream, but I would say it's uh, it's a bit niche at that. It has a good use case. Other than that, we don't really see a lot of a lot of fables play. This one, I think this one's going to see play for sure. Um, seems very very good in Guardian. Yep. So any new archetypes? I mean, we talked about Bravo style the show and what that looks like. I think. This aura-based Guardian deck is is looking a lot more viable. There's so many ways to set up big turns, and now, especially in Bravo style of the show, you have access to the uh, the auras that you had previously from old time, right? From Guardian and Tales of Aria that create seismics. Uh, maybe the Earth-based like Star of the Show deck, or even in old time, it just feels like there's there's more opportunity to do these big setup turns now. You've got like, a Fable, you've got Heave, you've got all these tools plus what you had before with like Embolden and. Uh, maybe you even play the two cost one from Arcane Rising that prevents four damage, uh, chanting melody. Like there's there's lots of things you can do. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. I haven't brewed anything up yet, but I will definitely. Yep, I'm totally aligned with you. But I would say it's. <laughs> I would uh, bring myself back to earth by saying that we've been talking about Aura Guardian for so long, and it seems to have not uh, not found its way into the game quite yet, or at least into the meta. But it did get a lot of tools. You're absolutely correct. So how do you see the three heroes shaping up then? And let's again talk about how we'd probably build these and what we'd be looking at, and then we'll give our grades. I think um, all time feels maybe a little bit less relevant than it did in the previous meta, just with the the changes to Briar uh, and Cheerios Briar. Maybe we're going to see very, very little of it uh, with what it lost. We'll see some heroic and probably still good. It is the defensive deck of the format, right? That's what it has been. I think it will continue to be that, but as Prism potentially and looks like it's going to rise in stock uh all time gets a little bit uh, scary maybe you look at like the matt rogers build maybe that's where you look to um what do you think about all time These cards. yeah it's really yeah for sure i echo what you say but i want to emphasize that it's really hard to talk about guardians and specifically old time without the context of prism which obviously just got some of the craziest upgrades um out of any of the decks as well as is benefiting from the bands and erratas that have been targeted at decks like briar so old him honestly i think that it will be significantly less relevant in this uh in this metagame or at least the version that we we know it by yeah yeah yep yeah, i agree um bravo start the show not much more to say on that It'd be interesting to see what comes out of it 
Bravo, yeah, I think it's going to be very similar to where it was in the last format, just kind of a bit more of a fringe deck. We we see it come out uh, because of the ability to be aggressive in the dominate. Maybe we actually see it rise. It could uh, could maybe all time drops. Bravo comes up, but then it's really about where does star of the show kind of fit in that. And um, look, I'm going to say I think the the auras. There's some powerful stuff in there. Uh, I think there's something that can be done, and it probably sits with one of the two Bravos in terms of how you build it. We got to keep in mind that uh, Dash is back on the menu as well. Um, there obviously was a generic item printed that can destroy items. Is mm. that good enough? Historically, pretty much everything that we've given Bravo has just never been good enough to beat Dash. Like we had the we had the shield and people making funny memes about um, Dash being you know. Uh, dead yeah. or whatever and yeah. it turns out it's not like that it wasn't it wasn't good enough dash could still you know Crush really give yeah, yeah yeah just absolutely destroy bravo so we'll see right like dash is back on the menu um so if prism and dash are on the or you know are really representing this meta it's gonna be a tough time for guardian yeah i have some things to say about dash and we're gonna get to that next but wrap it up with guardian i'm gonna give old time uh i'm actually gonna drop this i'm gonna give old time a b i think it's gonna drop to be honest, I think we're going to sit around a B. I had originally thought of B plus. Talking through with Brendan now, I think I'll give it a B in this new format. Bravo, I think I'm like honestly sitting about a C. And then um, start of the show, I'm going to give a C plus because I think probably has more upside than non-talented Bravo, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, so again, in the context of there being Prism and Dash, I'm actually going to, mostly Prism, I'm going to give Oldham maybe a C plus. I really don't believe in that deck existing uh, or just kind of really powering through the prison meta bravo potentially rides a more aggressive oriented bravo we saw it get close to that version back in monarch and i think it can really lean into that a bit more so i'll go ahead and give it a uh, we'll give it a c a c plus as well right out there with old time and then yeah star of the show i don't even know how to give it a grade but i'll go ahead and echo yours as well so c plus which is interesting because on the aggregate i think we're, we're rating guardians pretty low when they uh you know they had a good time in the last meta but they don't have good times in prism matters, and that's where we're headed. That's the thing, right? If you if you take away prism from our discussion of these, I think my grades jump up like a full grade. Like Ultim still looks like one of the best decks in the format. Bravo, Star of the Show looks really powerful. Guardian got stuff from this, but as I said, I'm I'm less excited about it than I am for other classes. And just the meta shift feels like it's gonna be net negative for Guardians overall. So yeah, it's um could be wrong, right? We could see that there's a bunch of really good aggressive decks that just put Prism out of the format and then Guardian comes back into the format or stays in the format and does a good job against those or whatever. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see, but that's kind of where we see it right now. Let's talk about Mechanologist. And we only have one here, of course, Dash. When we talk about Class Constructed, Dash kind of didn't really exist in the last meta in terms of, you know, Briar, Lightning Briar really pushed it out. We saw we saw Dash in the previous meta and the in the chain meta to an extent, but you know, that was like it was like a kind of people fatigued with it for a bit and then couldn't fatigue with it once people learned the game plan kind of went out of the format a little bit we saw it top eight in vegas and then we didn't really hear much of it after that uh really there was a bit of hype around maybe it would be good and then lightning briar comes along and says no <laughs> sit back down and then uh yeah that's kind of where we've, we've been we've just not seen much dash so for sure i think this is really it's a really cool thing to talk about because we we joke about prison being popular which you probably will, um, specifically because it won a national championship in a meta where it was actually not Calling. looked at as not looked oh, at and as a national championship. Well, national, national champion was particularly not looked at as a very good deck. Um, you know, in the context of Briar being super popular, but if you th- if you think like if you want to talk about the impact of Briar getting banned and Ponderone getting banned uh, and these Broom Blades going down in stock, obviously except for Viscerai. 
the deck that people are really going to go back to first is Dash, because I know there is a significant amount of people that want any excuse in the world to go back into their into their garbage bin, find that Dash deck, dust it off, and go assemble Exodia on the people at their locals. Yeah, I mean, I, garbage bin. I I think Dash is like is a is a coming out of Crucible. I think Dash is a good hero to have in this game because of what it does. It's a, it's a good test for decks. Uh, it does this repetitive thing. Its damage is very even over turns, but in a way that is uh, more bite-sized, right? And it doesn't have on-hit effects. So it's it's almost like people talk about Briar and what that deck did in the previous format where it had like consistent damage and on-hit effects. Well, Dash doesn't do that, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fatigue easy. It has, you know, has more of a long game in mind. It can play defensive elements. It can play aggressive elements. It's a really interesting hero and archetype to, to have. So with that said, let's talk about some of the new cards and where we think we see Dash sort of ending up in this new meta and i think we have to start with dissolution sphere um because i think this card is probably the most interesting to me personally uh so this is the two cost at yellow mechanologist action item uh and it enters the arena with a steam counter on it and at the beginning of your action phase destroy uh the sphere unless you've unless you remove a steam counter and then whenever you your hero will be dealt uh, exactly one damage prevent it while it's in play so effectively you play this it's gonna have a steam counter on it next turn you remove the steam counter but it's gonna stick around for two of your opponent's turns uh, and prevent any you know, exactly one damage from each source. So you know, rune chance, for instance. Oh, your rune chance, yeah, woo, fun, yeah. So that's rough for Viserai, but I think that the way Viserai was playing into that deck anyway um, was tempo oriented. Uh, so that's actually hard. Though. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, it's definitely hard. So it's not, you know, I look at this card and it would look like a combo killer for for that Viscerai combo, but ultimately I think the Viscerai will adjust and kind of just lean in more, lean in more to its uh, mid-range or aggressive strategy. Obviously this is incredible versus Kadachis. Um, if you've ever been on the wrong side of a Zen State token, you know how tilting that can be. Um, so, fantastic card. Yeah. Definitely, it, it, I mean, at most, I think it'll be in, or at, at the least, I think it'll be in every every Dash's sideboard. Yeah, very easy. So you talk about Zen State, hard to set up, tough to set up the Zen State. Yeah. Mm, much easier just to play a Sphere put into play in the past the turn you have spark of genius to get it as well maybe you sit the sort of spark of genius in arsenal until the, the viscerai wants to combo or you know until like it looks like your opponent has a five card hand on ninja whatever it might be um this card's interesting and what it does is i think a really cool effect a cool balance to the format i actually think when you talk about viscerai i mean if you play this and you're playing a tempo plan all of a sudden your opponent plays this this is still really annoying it's really good against four yeah. power as well because opponent comes in with a four power attack Okay, I block with a three power card. I would leak a damage, but Sphere says I don't. So the card isn't just for things like arcane damage or one damage effects. It also works well on things coming in for like the the important breakpoint of four because it's going to prevent that. Mm -hmm. Or hey, my opponent's coming in with a whelming gust wave for four here. I have a defense reaction, and now they can't ancestral empowerment, or maybe they have the the um, the arms up, and that doesn't work because the sphere is going to prevent the damage. So yeah, this card's really yeah. interesting to me. Didn't think about that. I'm not going to lie. And in the Thank context you. of that, geez, that's really good. <laughs> wow. That's, this is going to be an extremely annoying card. I was about to tell you a scenario. I was like, Hayden, think about this. I'm playing aggro boost dash. I go up against a Katsu. I start with this item in play. Pretty annoying. Um, especially in terms of turning off mask. Wow. This card is really, really good. You know, blocking for three, stopping the, you know, stopping the four. Oof, I wonder if this card is going to be too good. Jeez, uh, maybe I'm missing something, but this card it seems extremely powerful. Disruptive cards tend not to be 
amazing. Like in terms of they never seem to break that ceiling so far. So far, you'd say Command and Conqueror is maybe like the exception, but it's a generic. It's an attack. Its base stats are still strong. Whereas most of the other like disruptive cards, Chains of Eminence, we talked about that card a lot, hasn't really done much. Some of the other disruptive elements I feel like we've seen in this game so far just haven't been as maybe strong as like, you know, the the old adage we talk about with like how good Red and the Ledger is or like Sleep Dart every turn. Like these cards seem fantastic in theory, but they never seem to be as strong as maybe more of a proactive card would be in, in most situations. You're absolutely correct. I'm going <laughs> to... Retract your last statement. <laughs> Now I'm going to put my reputation on the line here. I'm going to say this card's going to be good. Cool. It's going to be good. I hope so. <laughs> I want it to be. Uh, let's move on. Rotary Ram. I think we can be pretty quick about this one. It is effectively another um, buff, you know, non-attack buff for for, uh, for dash, but it does go back to the bottom of your deck, so it can really help with mech boost decks, aggressive boost mm-hmm. decks that could you know potentially fatigue themselves. Um, so that's cool. Uh, I forgot the other the locked and loaded is the one from Arcane Rising. So you know, very similar to locked and loaded, except instead of the the opt effect, you get this to the bottom of your deck, which is cool. I like it. Yep. Not much to say on that. Like you said, it is freaking incredible in the pistol boost dash. Incredible deck. might be a bit slow down. It's good though. <laughs> good. It's. I mean, it's a staple. You're probably going to play him. Yep. Uh, but onto a more exciting card with T Bone. Yeah. So is he- the one. Sorry, Go I just, ahead. again, got to give a quick shout out to the Attack Action Podcast for their preview video when they released this. <laughs> anyway, go on. Yeah, so it's if you control a card on the on the combat chain that has been boosted, or that was boosted, defending hero must defend T-Bone with equipment they control if able. So this is the same effect as Mag... Magnetic? Magnetic Shockwave. Magnetic Shockwave, right? Kind of. Uh, the mm-hmm. cool thing about this with T-Bone is it triggers off itself, right? So this card is very good. I think the blue is like an auto-include in basically all the dash decks, whether you're aggro, whether you're not. Uh, because if you come on just with the... You know, I have extra blues in my hand. I come on with T-Bone, it's boosted, and they have to throw equipment at it. It's such a good trade for you. But even even like late game, these are going to do some work uh, when you know your opponent might not want to... Like they only have tunic left or they have, you know, one defense left on an important equipment that they can't then use, maybe a temper equipment, for instance. So I think with the amount of equipment and the spread we have now, it's not as effective as if this had been in previous formats where there's a lot of like people using like cards like Goliath, Gauntlet or Snapdragon Scalers, etc. Because good to keep in mind is that I could just block with the Snapdragon Scalers if I had it, right? You can block with those. You can defend with those cards. They just don't do anything on the on the combat chain, but you can defend with them. Yep, you're absolutely correct. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Signal Jammer. This is the blue item, Mechanologist item. So another item at blue, which is really cool. Uh, we haven't really had, you know, I've only had Teclo Core before. This is, is well, you know, is a playable item, I think. Uh, Signal Jam enters the arena with a steam counter on it again. Uh, at the beginning of your action phase, destroy it unless you remove a steam counter. And uh, each hero can't play more than one non-attack action cards uh, card each turn. This applies for you, and it's going to stick around for two of your opponent's turns. This card's really interesting. I think uh, maybe against Runeblades... Where else do you see this being played? Was it maybe? Well, you had an argument uh, about the last card that you know disruptive disruptive effects like this usually aren't good enough. They're kind of annoying at best. This for me falls into that category. Yeah. It's pretty good against against some things. Like it's very annoying as a rune blade, I'm sure. But is it is it worth having a an item in your deck that doesn't block that also when you play it doesn't have go again? Um, I don't know. This yeah. one for me, I think this one may not uh, may not see as much play. Yep, I think we can move on. I'm not excited about this card particularly, but I think it's it's interesting to see and uh, probably really good in Dada Dolo. 
you know, yeah. it's blue uh, item. That's that's kind of what. Speaking of blue items, Teclo Pounder. Uh, this might be like MVP alongside the new specialization for uh, for Data Doll, but also potentially could see play in Boost decks. Uh, so it's a two cost blue mechanologist action item. Uh, and it comes to play with three steam counters on it. It has a once per turn effect, which is uh, give plus two to an attack action. Uh, if you've boosted, you can give plus two to an attack action. Cool card. Yeah, Hayden, for sure. This is definitely a very good card, particularly a very good card in Data Doll. My question is, is this going to be good enough to see play in Dash? And it's we have a different frame of reference than we did before in previous metas that were hyper-aggressive, like Chain or Briar. Items were very punishing to play sometimes, and you would only play the the very very good ones. <laughs> so maybe that you know, moving into Everfest, we have more opportunity to play cards like this. But yeah, and what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. It's blue. It's an item. I could see it being played in uh, aggressive boost decks. I think it's hard to find the slots in uh, non you know just in regular dash decks, maybe mid range or control decks. Uh, especially, I think control doesn't want this, but even in mid range decks, hard to find a spot. But yeah, I think Data Doll seems very good, and also potentially in, in some aggressive boost decks. Last card I want to talk about is not for dash, <laughs> but it's going to impact dash, and I want to talk about what we think the impact is, and that's smashing good time. So this is the the zero cost generic action that uh, the next time an attack action card hits a hero this turn, you may destroy an item they control with cost two or less. So, you know, very much targets those chambers and purifiers. And if it's played from Arsenal, it gives the next attack plus three as well. So important to know, unlike Plunder Run, this is just the next attack if it hits. So not not future attacks for the turn. So it's a bit less good than like a, a Plunder Run effect, for instance, in terms of how that works. But this clearly is going to be something that people look at to potentially target Dash. My question is, First of all, can Dex find space to play this card to target Dash? Uh, is that going to depend on how big Dash is in the format? And then also, like, how how good is this? Like, it probably is going to require an attack a, a attack reaction as well, right? To be able to to play this in terms of get to get it over the top, right? Yeah. So, I think that if you're playing this as the first non-attack action into an attack action, yeah, I mean, they're just going to dump their hand, right? You're playing it on something with Dominate. I think that's pretty good. Um, if you're playing it in Briar and it's your second non-attack action after you've kind of maybe done non-attack action, attack action, I think it, it can be it can be pretty good in that sense. But the main question here is: Are people going to play this as a sideboard card to punish Dash? And I think I think yes. I think it's good enough. Uh, breaking items for Dash is uh, I think important enough to have uh, this in your sideboard. Yeah, I'm dubious. I think this is very hard to fit into most decks. I think a deck like Katsu, for instance, or maybe Briar can fit this in in terms of just being able to make sure they can push it through. Uh, maybe, yeah, I mean, that's honestly, maybe Bolton because you have attack reactions. Uh, but I'm I'm generally think this is going to see, this is going to be less impactful than we might think it is now that we see the card, uh, now that we kind of dive into it. I think Dash is going to fare fine, even with this card in the format. To be honest, I don't think. I think when you know about it, you can play around it. Uh, you probably bring in defense reactions against the decks that are going to be playing this card anyway. Um, so yeah, I don't. Uh, the D reacts. That's that's particularly because I wonder if this would be good enough in Bravo. Um, so I was thinking, which... yeah, Bravo might be the best for it. Actually, to be honest, like, is it the card? You know, you 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 dominate, play it, and then maybe you even also can pummel or something. Like, yeah, like it, it could be. It could be good enough. Mm-hmm. But it only kills one item, and that's not enough. As Bravo. 
is it not enough? That's, that's a good question, right? Like, how many items is enough for Bravo to not get absolutely destroyed by Dash? Uh, it definitely helps. <laughs> it definitely helps. So in an aggressive Bravo deck, which is maybe how you, probably how you need to play it anyway, yeah, like killing you know, their chamber early, maybe getting the second chamber they get and setting them back so they can't take over the game, maybe that is enough. And then you 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 know you don't die late game because they're coming in for 12 damage every turn off two cards or whatever. Yeah, maybe that is enough. But um, we'll have to see. Anyway, I want to talk about just archetypes. Uh, I think we're going to see a bit more boost dash potentially come into the format. It's got some tools. T-Bone's really cool um you've got maybe you know uh other cards like the new aura sorry new aura the new item you've got rotary ram and then i think we're just going to see traditional based dash decks to be honest with a few of these new uh tools maybe like um the sphere that comes in and plays uh versus some of the decks like you know viserai or katsu or whatever and uh yeah i think we'll probably go back to more of a mid-range dash to be honest that's probably what i would start with anyway or a boost dash i really like boost dash and maybe you can find uh, room for the uh, shotgun I agree with you um, completely, except for Dissolution Sphere. I wonder if that is good enough to, <laughs> to play more defensive and fatigue strategy. Not fatigue, but, you know, Control. defensive dash that assembles the crazy board. Uh, for sure. Yeah, there's one thing I want to say when we were talking about dash and it, the importance of having dash exist in the game in the format. It's kind of a tangent now, but I think that dash is very a very good anti-fatigue deck. Um, and theoretically, it could keep a lot of formats in uh, you know, healthy because of that. Yep, mm-hmm. I agree. It's like what, in theory, Reiner would do to just a pure control format as well, right? On the other side. Yeah, in theory. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about Brute next. Um, grades. Where are we giving our grades? I think uh, I'm probably giving Dash... I think it's a C plus for me. I think didn't really get many tools. I think in terms of the meta, it could be like a B minus. Like this deck could be impactful in the meta for sure. I think this has the opportunity to be a really strong deck in the meta, um, especially if you can maybe have a list that's reasonable to Prism. If Guardians are playing around and maybe Prism's there, I think Dash has a spot and the bannings help that to a degree. But tools wise, I'm excited about Sphere and that's maybe about it for the probably Dash decks you want to play competitively. So I give it a C plus. C plus for me as well. I think it's pretty straightforward on this one. But again, there is the context of the meta, which is, does favor Dash. While the card pool doesn't, you know, the additional cards we got in Everfest doesn't make me super excited to play Dash. Briar and Plunder Run being taken out of the format definitely does. Briar being taken out of the format. I mean, that's not guaranteed. All right, that's going to wrap up part one of our Everfest impact on Class Constructed. We're going to do a two-parter on this. So we'll be back next week talking about the rest of the classes and the impact that uh, we think these cards and Everfest overall, plus the bannings and erratas, is going to have on this Class Constructed format. It's a longer Class Constructed format. We're going to have this with us for a while as we head through ProQuest season and into the first Pro Tour. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we look back in a few months what our predictions look like, Brendan. But we've got a week between now and now next episode to, to think on the, the rest of the classes. Do want to say a big thank you to all of our, our patrons uh, for all the support you do give us and uh, for what you enable us to do. Uh, go check us out on YouTube. We've got gameplays up there. We've got deck techs up there. If you uh, haven't already visited the YouTube or you aren't watching this on our YouTube channel. And we're on Twitter. Brendan is at BrendanAPG and I'm at uh, Ian underscore Dale, like the tunic. Come and you know engage with us on Twitter. Join our Twitter spaces. Brendan's been running some Twitter spaces, which have been really cool. I've been uh, lurking in the audience for a lot of those and have, you know, I've participated in a few, but they're really cool. Come up on stage, share your thoughts, and and just join the discourse with uh, the rest of the community. But until next time, Brennan, we will uh, we'll see you in the next one. Makes no sense when you say that, Hayden. <laughs> <laughs>